Scripture reading this evening will come from the book of Colossians, third chapter, starting in verse 22. It reads, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. It probably comes as no radical revelation to say that for many people in the world, mediocrity is the norm. They want to do just enough to be able to get by. But when we read passages like Alan just read from Colossians chapter 3 as our text this evening, we know that God did not create us to be mediocre. He doesn't want us to just barely get by. And he certainly doesn't want us to do what everyone else is doing. I'll remind you that God has called his people to be a cut above. He's called us to stand out of the crowd. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones for a reason. As it were, we are to be people of excellence and integrity. And any hint of compromise will certainly taint our greatest victories or our grandest achievements. If you'll consider our text, you know that Paul there is talking about master-slave relations. And yet the dynamics, the principles that are contained in these verses, while they are specifically dealing with slave-master relations, they're principles that I think apply to any situation of life. It's not very difficult for us to take these very principles and put them into the business world. And think of them in terms of employee-employer relationships and how that we ought to be doing our jobs and how that we ought to be doing them as Christians would be performing them. Here's what that means in practical terms. A person of excellence and integrity is a person who will go the extra mile to do what's right, even when it's not convenient. He'll keep his word even when it's very difficult to do that. People of excellence are people that will arrive at work on time. They'll give their employers a full day of work. They won't call in sick when they're not. You see, when you have this kind of excellent spirit within you, it shows up in the quality of your work, and it shows up in the attitude with which you do that work. Remember that brief but significant statement that's made about Daniel in the Old Testament? I think we talked about it just a few weeks ago. But it is worth us appreciating, once again, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. Then Daniel distinguished himself, the Bible says, above the governors and the satraps, and here it is, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel was a man who had an excellent spirit or an excellent attitude about him. And to give credit to the authorities that be at that day, they recognized that, and Daniel was promoted. You see, God doesn't bless and promote mediocrity. He blesses those who strive to do their very best, not somebody else's best, that's good to know. God doesn't expect us to be able to perform at the same level as everyone else. He doesn't expect the one-talent person to operate on the same level as the two- or the five-talent person. But he does expect us to do our best and to use our talents and our abilities in kingdom service to the greatest degree possible. I know that's so because the Bible says so. Look again at verse 23 of our text. There Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, not unto men, but do it unto God, knowing that God will reward you. 
And so Paul is acknowledging that there is a higher standard, that there is a supreme court of appeals that we need to appreciate and recognize even when we go to work and punch in each day. Even in the Old Testament, Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. That too, I think, is a principle that ought to permeate our hearts and lives. So notice that whatever we do, we ought to give our best effort. We ought to do as if we're doing it personally for the Lord. That's what Paul was stating in our text. And if we, if we will work with that standard in mind, then I remind you that God has, has promised to reward us. Now there's a danger inherent there because we may be tempted to acclimate ourselves to the waters of the environment that is around us. If we work among people who have settled for mediocrity, it'll be very easy for us to ourselves say, well, that's the standard. That's how high the bar has been set. As long as I reach that bar, I'm okay. It's very easy for us to compromise in that area of our life. You may be in a situation today where everybody else around you is compromising their integrity and they're taking the easy way out. Please don't let that rub off on you. You be the one to, like Daniel, have an excellent spirit. Be the one to stand out in the crowd. Take what God has given you, use it well, and take care of it, whether it's the car you drive or it's the house you live in. Have a standard that God would be pleased with. Start making excellent choices, even in areas of life that we might consider to be mundane. I want to say that again. If you will give attention to those small details in life, those small mundane matters, and if you will perform with integrity and excellence in those small matters, then God will richly reward you. When you're in the store, for example, and you accidentally knock off those clothes off the rack as you're walking by, don't act as though you don't see them and just leave them lying on the floor. A person of integrity will pick them up and put them back on the appropriate rack. A person of integrity does not park in a handicapped spot if they themselves are not handicapped, even if it's just to run into the store for something real quick. You see where we're going with this, don't you? I heard about a person who runs a well-known motel chain who says that he can tell something about a person's character, what that person is made of, by how they treat a motel room, a place that is not theirs and they will likely never see again. But if they treat it with respect... That indicates something about the person and their character. Now, please understand that neglecting these little things will not keep you out of heaven. I'm not communicating that at all. And in most cases, they won't even cause you serious problems, and they won't make you miserable in this life. But those subtle compromises of integrity will, in fact, keep you from God's best. It will keep you from living the truly abundant life. And they'll keep you from ascending to your highest level and they'll keep you from living your best life now for the Lord Jesus Christ. God desires people who will go the extra mile to do what's right, even when no one is watching. Which brings us to our first motivation for living that kind of life, and that is that people are watching you. You have an impact and influence on people around you. And as I've said many times from this very pulpit, sometimes we want to decline that invitation. We want to say, no, people don't really look at me. I'm no one that anyone would look at as a role model, but someone, I will guarantee you, is watching you. They are learning from you, and they are seeing by your example what to do or maybe in some cases what not to do. Heard about a fellow that I think I told you about some years ago who was getting out of his car in a parking lot at a particular store. And as he was getting out, he had a number. His car didn't look so much like a car on the inside. as a file cabinet. And so he had some, car, some uh, papers on the inside of his car in the passenger seat. 
and, and the wind was such that when he opened the car door, most of those papers just blew out in the parking lot. Well, he didn't really need the papers, but he didn't want to litter either. But every time he went to pick one up, the wind would blow it, you know, 15 or 20 feet in the opposite direction. And so he glanced at the parking lot, noticed that there was already plenty of other trash out there. And he was in a hurry, so he began to rationalize in his mind. And he came up with some pretty good excuses why he shouldn't waste his time trying to retrieve all that that trash that had blown out of his car. But then he decided, no, I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to pick up the trash that at least blew out of my car. Well, he kept collecting papers until he was certain that he had gotten everything that had blown out of his car, as well as perhaps some things that had blown out of other people's cars as well. And he realized that with all the time that he was doing that and picking up litter out of the Walmart parking lot, there was a couple sitting in the car next to where he had parked. And they were watching him. And they were members of the church where he preached. And they rolled down their window, and the woman in the car said, We were just watching to see what you were going to do with all those papers that flew out of your car. That's a small thing, isn't it? Think of those papers, if you will, allegorically for a moment. People are watching all the time to see what you and I will do with the scattered papers in our lives. They watch us to see how we react when the line is especially long and slow at Walmart, which is pretty much any time we're in there. They see how we act when we don't get our way at the doctor's office. Whether we realize it or not, people are watching us all the time. That's especially true in a more microcosmic sort of way when we consider our family, the people that matters the most and who are the closest to us right there in our homes. But in every context of life, at the office, at the plant, at the factory, on the ball field, people are watching us every day of our lives. They're watching to see how we dress. They're watching to see how we take care of our homes, and they're most importantly watching to see how we treat other people. For sure, they're watching at work. And again, the question I want to ask tonight is, when they watch us, what is it that they see? Are you, am I, a good representative of the Lord? We are, in fact, ambassadors of the Lord in a very real sense. Are we good ambassadors? Are we good representatives? Are we striving for excellence in everything that we do? Or are we compromising in so-called insignificant areas? You see, every day our integrity is being tested. I believe that the Bible illustrates that over and over in Old and New Testament. If a bank teller gives you too much money in return at the bank, are you going to have the integrity to go back and make things right? Or are you going to walk out the door saying, thank you, Jesus? You see, we have those options and those choices every day. Do you call in sick at work so that you can stay at home and take care of personal business? When the phone rings at home and it's someone that you don't want to talk to, do you tell the family member who answered the phone, tell them that I'm not here? Now, some people would say, but Brother Randy, that's just a little white lie. No, let me tell you something, church, something you're already aware of. Lies are not color-coded in the Bible. In God's sight, there is no such thing as a white lie or a gray lie or a black lie. In God's sight, a lie is a lie. And if you're not telling the truth, that's being dishonest. And sooner or later, you can mark it down, it'll catch up to you. I remember reading in a book somewhere, you will eventually reap what you sow. And you know, of course, that's Galatians 6 and verse 7. You know, during my years in the ministry, I've had any number of people ask me now, when we talk about these kinds of matters and trying to be faithful and be excellent people and people of integrity, even in the small areas... 
And I've had this conversation a number of times. Brother Randy, you really think that if I, and then they name some kind of trivial violation like running a stop sign, if, if I do that, then I'm not going to go to heaven? And my response is, there are some stop signs that I know of at some intersections in Montgomery that if you run those stop signs, you might get to heaven a lot sooner than you thought. But to answer the question seriously, no, I don't really believe that that's going to cause you to miss heaven. But I do believe this. Every time there's a law, whether that is civil or divine, that I deliberately disregard, I am fostering and cultivating a spirit of rebellion that will create a pattern of, of, of behavior and a mindset that will eventually result in some very real problems in my life that may wind up in the ultimate costing me my soul. For example, if you lie about little things, before long you'll find yourself a lot more easily lying about bigger things. Didn't Jesus say in Luke 16 verse 10, He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And I don't think that he was just talking about stewardship of things or possessions in that passage. I think he was also talking about how we guard our hearts and our actions in every area of life. If we're faithful in that which is least, then God says, I know that you would be faithful if I granted you much, much more. Let's not kid ourselves. If we compromise in something small, eventually we'll compromise in the more serious matters because compromise is a downhill slide every time. And theft is theft, whether it's a dollar or a thousand dollars or a million dollars. It's still theft. And if you're taking home your company's office supplies, that's being dishonest. If you're not giving your company a full day's work, that's not integrity. And if you're having to stretch the truth in order to get that new account, then that's deceit. And let me tell you, God will not bless that. I heard one, somebody say one time, don't do anything that you would not feel comfortable reading about in the newspaper the next day. And that's a pretty good mantra for life. When I go to, well, let's say, let's go back a few years. Y'all remember what blockbuster video looked like, don't you? Or movie gallery. And, and when people actually had to go to those places in order to be able to rent a movie. Let me, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, if you had to hide the movie that you were renting, then something is wrong. If you don't know what it is, or you don't want other people to know what it is that you're watching, then something is wrong with what you're doing. If my credit report were to be made public today, would it embarrass me for other people who are fellow members of the church to know that I never pay my bills on time? It should. It should bother me a great deal. If my coworkers were interviewed on television, would they say that I'm a person of honor, somebody they can always count on, somebody that they can truly trust? Or would they say, that guy will stab you in the back in a heartbeat. He's only out for himself. You see, the bottom line is God wants us to be people of excellence and integrity. He wants us to be the best employees and the best employers that that business has ever known. And if you don't have integrity, you'll never, ever reach your highest potential. Integrity is the foundation on which a truly successful life is built. We see that again, over and over again with men like Daniel and Abraham and Moses, those people who are hallmarked in Scripture as people of great faith. Now, you may not think that it makes any difference when you don't pay your bills on time or when you tell those little white lies. You may think it doesn't make any difference if you treat your family one way and your friends another. But you see, if you don't learn to pass those little tests, God will never promote you. 
If you don't learn to do what's right in the little areas of your life, then God will never be able to trust you with more. Remember, our lives are an open book before God and before others. In fact, Paul refers to them. His words are, you are an epistle. That means an open letter known and read of all men. Now, you may not need to have had that verified in Scripture, but Paul wants us to give us some inspiration on that point and to help us to realize that heaven knows, God knows, that that's true, and we should be aware of that as well. We are an open letter known and read of all men, and I wonder what people are reading page by page in your life day by day. You see, remember, our lives are that open letter before God, before others. And, and, and God looks at our hearts. He looks at our motives. He sees every time we go the extra mile and, and we go beyond what is convenient to make sure that we're doing what's right. We're doing that which would be pleasing to God and helpful to those around us. But he also sees the times that we compromise and when we take the easy way out. I heard about a guy who left work early one day to go to his grandmother's funeral. And the next morning, his boss walked up to him and said, Do you believe in life after death? And the employee looked a little puzzled, and he finally said, well, yes, I do. And the guy said, well, boy, that makes me feel a whole lot better. And the guy said, why? What are you talking about? And he said, well, yesterday, after you left to attend your grandmother's funeral, she came by to see you. (laughs) Whatever that is, folks, it's the opposite of integrity. So be open and honest and tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about everything all the time. And God will bless you. And if you want to take your child out of school one day early to take them to a ball game in the afternoon, don't write a a note to the teacher saying, please excuse Johnny from school. He wasn't feeling well. God can't bless that. And I've used that as an illustration a few times from the pulpit. And I've had people come up to me and say, but brother, brother Randy, he might get in trouble if I don't do something like that. Let me tell you this. I'd rather get in trouble with the teacher than to get in trouble with God. How about you? Besides, you never, ever lose if you take the high road. Finally, we need to commit to a life of excellence. We've said something about how to be able to cultivate and build integrity in our lives, and that's what God wants us to do. Clearly, that was the ambition of Paul when he wrote the text, when talking about those slaves and how that they need to react to and respond to their masters. I heard a story about a wealthy man who, whose friend was a builder, And this builder was down on his luck, and he hadn't had much work lately, so the wealthy man felt sorry for him and decided that he was going to help him out. And he gave him a set of plans and a check for $300,000. And he said, I want you to build me a new home. I don't have time to bother with it. I'm turning it all over to you, and I want you to make every one of the decisions. You determine the design. You determine how the house is built. But just use this money as you see fit because I want you to know I trust you. And if you do a good job, I promise that I will pay you well for your labor. And the builder was so excited. He was finally going to be able to make some real money. But then he got to thinking, you know, if I cut a few corners here and there, I could pocket some of that $300,000 upfront money. And so he went out and he, he bought the cheapest concrete he could find. And then he had the builder, to, the concrete man, to, to add more water to it and stretch it a little bit farther. And he saved four or $5,000 right there before the foundation had even been built. And excited, he went out and he found the cheapest lumber that he could find. And some of it was bent and warped and crooked, but that didn't matter because he thought, after all, it's going to be on the inside of the walls. Nobody will know about it. Nobody will ever see it. And he did the same thing with the plumbing. 
and the electrical work and on and on, cutting corners everywhere he could and saving dollars that way. And when the house was, was finally completed, he had saved $40,000, which he discreetly deposited in his personal bank account. He called his wealthy friend to come and look at the house, and the purchaser was quite impressed. On the, on the outside, on the surface, that house looked beautiful. He never guessed that the builder had cut corners and compromised the integrity of that whole house. And the builder was ecstatic when he saw how pleased the buyer looked. In fact, he couldn't wait to see how much he was going to get paid because he knew that this was a very generous man. As the wealthy man walked to the front door, he turned, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said to the builder, You know, I don't really need this house. I already have a very beautiful home that suits my needs, and I was just trying to help you out and do you a favor. He then handed the builder the keys to the front door, and he said, Here, my friend, this is for you. You've just built yourself a brand new house. And the builder nearly passed out. And you know what his first thought was? If I knew I was building this house for me, I'd have done a whole lot better job. The truth is, church, whether we realize it or not, we're all building our own houses. We're building the houses that we will live in for the rest of our natural lives. We may cut corners here and there, but I will guarantee you that we're hurting nobody but ourselves. Those poor choices that we make early in life or late in life, it doesn't matter, will weaken the foundation. It'll cause problems at some point in the future. Everything may look fine and it may look dandy on the surface, but what really counts is what's going on inside the walls and behind the closed doors. What we do when nobody is watching is what builds the fabric of the character of our lives. And so the really important question that I have for each of us tonight is, what kind of materials are we putting into our homes? By the way, as an addendum to that story, the, the builder moved into his brand new house, and three months later, he was having foundation problems. Six months after that, cracks began to appear in the walls. The plumbing would never work just right, and it cost him four, far more than the $40,000 he had skimmed to fix all of those problems. And if you were to ask him today, he'd tell you that if he had to do it over, he'd have done it right the first time. Each of us must give some thought early on in our lives as to who our real boss is. Think again, if you will, about our text. That's really what Paul is talking to the slaves about, isn't he? That's what he's talking to the employees about. That's what he's talking to in a projected way to every child of God. If you want to live a life of integrity and excellence, you've got to decide first early on in life who your real boss is. And I'm submitting that it's not just the person you work for. It isn't our immediate supervisor down at the plant. Paul said in our text that each child of God should live and work, and here it is, as unto the Lord. That's the real boss. We need to make every decision, Paul says, each choice in life in view of eternity, and not just because of eternal repercussions, but because it's the right thing to do while we're still living and while we're still serving here on this planet. And each choice is, is in reality a building block in building lives of excellence and integrity. Because every day you're building your own house. You're building the home, the life that you'll occupy for the rest of your days. And so start doing if you're not already doing it. What you know in your heart, what you've learned from the Bible, from God's holy word, what is, in fact, the better way. Don't just do what you have to do to get by. Be a person that goes the extra mile. Be a person who does a little bit more than he has to do because you and I are, in fact, ambassadors. 
of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's be done with mediocre, sloppy living. Let's move up to the higher levels that God intends for his ecclesia to be living at, knowing that if we'll live with a commitment to integrity and spiritual excellence, then happiness will be a natural byproduct, and God will reward us beyond our grandest dreams. But it begins by surrendering your life fully to the Lord. And that's what we invite you to do tonight as we sing the song of invitation in just a moment. If you're not a child of God, through your faith, your sincere repentance, your confession of Jesus as God's Son, and being baptized, immersed in water to have your sins remitted, you can leave this place as a brand new creature in Christ while we stand, while we sing.